2 Kings chapter number 8. I'm going to read to you and, and hopefully deliver the word of the Lord from one of just the most remarkable passages of Scripture in the Bible. And I had read over it many times before, but up until recently, the past few years, I haven't seen the depth of the things that are in here. But this morning, I hope to share from this passage of Scripture. It's absolutely remarkable. 2 Kings chapter number 8, beginning at verse number 1 through verse 6. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he'd restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou, thou and thine household, sojourn wherever you can sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall so come upon the land seven years. The woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the seven years' end, that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. And it came to pass, as he was telling the king how he'd restored a dead body to life, that behold... The woman whose son he'd restored to life cried to the king for her house and her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field... You ready? Since the day that she left the land, even until now. Now, that is a remarkable series of events that took place in one, just one little passage of Scripture, one little thing of six verses. This morning, I want to preach to you on the woman, the servant, and the king. The woman, the the servant, and the king. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. Ask him to minister to us in Jesus' name. Lord, we're so thankful for your presence and your spirit and your power. God, I'm praying that your word would go forth. It would land on good soil. It would land on good hearts. I'm praying, God, that you would speak into this church, into lives, into families, to administer only like you can. We give you the glory for doing it. We give you the glory and the honor. Help us, God, for it to land on good soil. Confirm your word with signs following in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The woman, the servant, and the king. I have discovered over the course of my life, I have discovered something about God. I've discovered something about the Lord that took me a long time to figure out because I'm a human being and it takes a slow human being at that, but it takes me a little bit of time sometimes to figure out some things about God. God is not a God of time. 
He's not a God of time. We live by time. We have watches and we have clocks and they're the every, most people in this room have some form or way of calculating or devising time. Some in this room maybe have a timer going while the preacher is up here. I have friends that preach with a timer. I am not one of those people. God is not a God of time. I hope you'll help me preach this morning, though. God is a God, however, of timing. That is how God works. He is not a God of time. He is not bound by the thing that he created. He created time. He lives outside of the realm of time. He's the one that figured out seconds and minutes and days and hours and weeks and months and years, and he handed it to us to steward. But God himself is not bound by something he created. He is above that. He is outside of it. So God is not bound by time like we are bound by time. But God is bound by timing. There's this song in the mid-90s they used to sing. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. There's this song they used to sing. It's called, He's an On-Time God. Dottie Peoples made it famous in the mid-90s. I don't know if she wrote it. That's what Google said, but Google says a lot of things. He's an on-time God. He may not come, but he'll be there right on. That's how God works. He is a God of timing. He operates in the timing. That's why you see all throughout the Bible, you'll see phrases like, in the process of time. Because time, in God's eyes, is a process. It's a process to him. It's always in the process of time. It's always in, in the way God views it, a transition. It's a how the timing of God unfolds and works and things come together. It, the Bible says phrases like this, it came to pass. Now the reference is there's some length of time that took place for this story to unfold. But the reality of the thing, there's so much more at play than just one event or one person. There's many things happening at one time. And the Bible says, when these things lined up or when it come to pass. Let me tell somebody something in the room right now. You've been living by the watch and you've been living by the clock, hoping that, some, that maybe one day, maybe something will happen, but you need to put your trust in the timing of God and yield over your idea of when it should happen or how it should happen and just believe that God has the perfect timing for your miracle, the perfect timing for your prodigal, the perfect timing for whatever need it is that you have. He's a God of timing. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says this, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. That word time means kairos, which is a specified window of time. It is our responsibility to step in to the opportune timing that God has for us. Moments that we were given to steward. Now, I wish God would hurry up sometimes. Is that just me? I wish he would just answer 
when I want him to answer. But listen, the universe does not revolve around me. And I've got to sometimes determine in my life, and I'm helping somebody right now, I've got to determine in my life that there might just be bigger things at play than my need and my life and what I may see, whatever. Because God is a redemptive God. And if a miracle for somebody else has to happen in that timing, God, let it be so. Open my eyes to understand that you are a God of timing. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 says this, He hath made everything beautiful in his time, not my time. There's no better scripture that fulfills this principle than Galatians chapter number 4 and verse number 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under law, that they might receive the adoption of sons. God knew at the right time I'm going to manifest myself in the flesh, show up on this earth so that the message of my life, the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection, so that it could go forth to all the worlds. If I come too soon, it won't happen right. If I come too late, it won't happen right. But when the fullness of time has come, I want to tell somebody, the fullness of time is going to come in your life one day. You just need to put your trust in the timing of God. How many of you believe God's a miracle worker? How many of you believe God is faithful? You just need to put your trust in the timing of God. I said it a few weeks ago in the pulpit. I'll say it again. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. And if I try to make something happen, it will be born of flesh. But when God does something, when he orchestrates it in his timing, then it is born of spirit. We've got to determine to trust in the timing of God. Now, this story that we read, the story that we read in 2 Kings chapter number 8, it's got some characters in the story. It's got some people that we've got to understand the context of what's happened in order to understand the weight and the gravity of the things that transpired in 2 Kings chapter number 8. Three main characters are found in this story. There is the Shunammite woman. There is Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. And there is the king. Now, if you're going to understand why those three are important, you've got to understand the story of how each one gets to those settings. You can turn back in 2 Kings chapter number 4, beginning on verse number 8, and you find the story of the Shunammite woman. This is what the Bible says, 2 Kings 4 and 8, and it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned hither to eat bread. And, the, and she said, the woman said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. She recognized when Elisha shows up, there's something different about that man. She saw from her vantage point, she recognized 
that when Elisha has passed by the city, when he comes, and the Bible says he passed by continually, when he comes, there's something different and holy about that man. I want to pause and interject something. So much of our living for God is recognizing when God is at work. It's realizing that something holy is passing by in this moment. And it's also acknowledging, I don't want to miss what you're doing right here and right now. I could become distracted. I could look another way. But something holy is passing me by. I don't want to miss the perfect timing and placement of God. And listen, God may be moving and God may be working. That's not the question. The question is, are we recognizing God moving and God working? Do we see it? Are we yielded to it? Are we ready for God to do whatever he wants to do? So the woman says, she turns to her husband and she says, make us a little chamber, verse number 10. Now, who's married in the room? Good number of people. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to sum up marriage for you real quick. That was a pause for dramatic effect. One day, my sister-in-law was coming to stay with us and my brother-in-law. They were coming, and my beautiful wife said, I need you to go out to the garage, and I need you to get the mattress out behind the boxes and things. I need you to get that and bring that in the house and set it up in the guest bedroom. And I looked at my wonderful, beautiful wife, and I said, but we have an air mattress just as good. And she said, no, I really want to go, I want you to go out there and I want you to get that mattress and bring it into the house. And I looked at her and I said, I don't want to. <laughs> to which, now, here's the part where and if your wife ever asks you to do something or you have a honeydew list, this is, where, this is where it comes in. This is where, if you're not married yet, Sam and Madison, if you're not married yet and you need counseling, I'm about to counsel you right now from the pulpit. Anybody that needs it, I'm about to help you real quick. Okay? She looked at me and she said, and this is marriage summed up in one sentence. This is how it works, gentlemen. This is it. She looked at me and she said, Nate, I've made promises, and I need you to keep them. You'll get my bill in the mail later. So the wife looks at the husband, and she says, let us make him a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be that if he come when when he cometh to us, that he shall turn in thither. She decided, look, I recognize something holy is passing by our family right now. 
and I refuse to just let that thing walk on by us. But we're going to go home, and we're going to begin to make a little space for that holy to reside in our house. Let me tell you where revival is going to come in America. I don't know if it's going to come in our churches, but I do know it can come in our homes. And if we will decide to go home and start making a little space, creating a little capacity for the holy to reside, for the godly to reign, then I can tell you we'll see God do some amazing things if we'll start making space for God to do things in our home. I'm not going to let this pass me by one more time, but I'm going to make room for the holy to take place. I'm going to make room for things to have their realm and their dominion, and God is looking for people who will decide that they'll make room in their home for the supernatural touch of God. God is looking for people that will make space, make room for the holy. He's looking for it today. So the Bible says, as the story goes, that Elisha and his servant come to the house and they stay and he asks the woman and says, can I do anything for you? Look at all of this that you've done for us. Is there anything that I can do for you? And the woman says, I don't, I don't really think there's anything. It's, I live with my people. I'm fine just how I am. And he goes to Gehazi, his servant, and he says, what can we do for this woman? What can, how can we help her in any way? And Gehazi speaks up and says, well, she doesn't have a child. Elisha says, that's it. That's what we're going to do. Walks to the woman and says, by this time next year, you will be holding a child, a baby, a boy. You're, by this time next year, you will be holding that baby. And the woman looks at him and says, don't, don't play games with me. Don't mess with my emotions like that. that that's something I've, I've, I've wanted, but don't, don't play with my emotions. And the word of God comes into her life and by the time a year rolls around, she's holding that baby board. You know why she's holding that supernatural miracle? Because she made room before it, before it ever got there. So you hear me, it may not, it may not, it may not be happening in this season. But if you will make room now, God will pour out and work a miracle later. But it all hinges on your willingness to do something right here, right now, and recognize that his power wants to respond to your response. So she has the child. The child is born. She's holding it. The child grows up a little bit. And then the Bible says that the unthinkable happens. The unimaginable happens in this situation. The boy is out with his father in a field and they're working. The Bible says that the boy began to cry, my head, my head. What many people believe is the boy, while he was a little, little boy, I don't know the age, but a little boy, he's out in the field working with his dad, and many believe that he had an aneurysm. And the Bible says that the mom came running and held the baby, and I cannot imagine. I read this verse this morning, got trying to even fathom what that feeling was like to hold your baby boy. And the Bible says, as she's holding her child, she holds him till noon, and he dies. That's how the Bible describes it. He's holding it, and the baby dies. The, the, the boy is dead. But what I find so amazing that happens is that child that she was promised of God, listen, she didn't ask for it, but God gave it to her. So she takes that child, 
And you know what she does with it? She walks that child back into that chamber where that prophet and man of God lay his head at night. And she took that baby boy and she set him back in that room, in that atmosphere, in that place. You know what she didn't do? She didn't say, well, it's time to plan a funeral. She didn't say, oh, it's time to, this is over with. It's time to pack this up. It's over. No, she said, I'm not planning a funeral. I'm planning a resurrection. So I'm going to walk this boy back to the place God gave him to me, and I'm going to put him back in God's hands and let God deal with this in his timing. So she carries that baby boy, and she lays him down in that supernatural, prophetic environment. Let me tell you something, church. We believe in supernatural environments. And we believe in putting our children in supernatural, prophetic environments. We believe in the hand and the power of God. So we will put the future into that type of environment. There's a reason why we preach faith. There's a reason why we sing songs about miracles because we believe that God can and we want the next generation to experience the supernatural power of God. So she carries the child, lays him in there. She goes to Elisha. She runs to him and she asks Elijah to, to help. This is what's happened. My boy has died and Elisha says to Gehazi, take my staff, run it in there and lay it on top of the boy and he does it. And she won't leave Elisha's side. They come and they race all the way to the boy in the bedroom and there, there, they, there they are in the room and he shuts the door. Everybody else out, shuts the door. No other voices, no other distractions, no other thing. But I'm going to come right back to this miracle and believe God to raise this boy up. So he does. He, he, he lays himself on the boy, and the boy, his body temperature changes, the Bible says. And he comes back to life, and he raises the boy up, brings him to his mom and said, Behold, here's your son. A miracle of God taking someone that was dead and putting them back to life. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't, I don't necessarily want the, the need for a miracle, but I'm okay if God wants to perform a miracle. And I may not ask for this time or season, but I trust in the timing and the plan of Almighty God. That's the story of the woman. That's the woman in 2 Kings chapter number 8, the one that comes the, to the king, that's, that's her. So the Bible says that she, he, she comes to the king because she's gone before and she's asked the, she's, she asked the man of God and he sent her away for seven years. And that's that woman. Well, there's also another character in the story that we read. His name is Gehazi. He is the servant of Elisha, the man of God. He's seen miracles. He's seen supernatural things happen. He's watched all of these things unfold through Elisha's ministries. The Bible says that there was a, an, an army official from Syria. His name was Naaman. And, and 2 Kings chapter number 5, you read the story of Naaman. Naaman, as great as he was, had leprosy. The Bible says that Naaman could not get healed of this leprosy, could not do anything. He was great, but he had a disease. So if you read the story, he... He gets infuriated when Elisha tells him to go wash in the river. 
and, and as the story goes and as you read through it, he, he gets healed. And then he looks at Elisha and says, I would love to give you a gift. I would love to give you this money and this oil and these camels and these things. I would love to give you this gift. And Elisha looks at him and says, I don't need that. I don't want it. I don't do miracles for that. We don't do miracles for that. That's not the thing. But the problem and the story is Gehazi standing right here. And Gehazi watches his master, the one he follows. He watches as he turns down all of that money. And Gehazi's over there thinking, we could use that. Those camels would be nice right now on, on my feet. There's an expression they say, my dogs are barking. Could sure use that camel. Sure would like those spices. That would be nice. And Elisha and Gehazi turn away, but the Bible says Gehazi goes back to Naaman and says, you know what, on second thought, my master would like those things. I would like that. And in his greed, because he wanted it, he goes back and gets all those things that were supposed to be given to Elisha. And he brings them back with it, and he hides them in his house. And when he presents himself to Elisha, Elisha says, where'd you go? Listen, if a prophet ever asks you a question, I mean, he already knows. Tell the truth. The prophet looks at him, asks him where he went. And he says, makes up something, says that he didn't go anywhere, he didn't do this, he came back. And Elisha's, Elisha takes and says, the leprosy that was on Naaman is now going to rest on top of you. And he ran out full of leprosy. Used to be a servant to the man of God. And now he runs out. He's taken away full of leprosy. That is the story of the woman. That is the story of the servant. Now let me read, now that you have that context, let me read to you some verses again so you understand the dynamic that's at play. 2 Kings chapter number 8, verse number 1. Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son had restored to life. Arise and go thou in thine household and sojourn wherever you can go. For the Lord has caused a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God. She went with her household, sojourning in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass seven years in that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines. And she sent forth to cry unto the king for her house and her land. The woman in this story. This is someone who trusted the voice, the man of God. She put her confidence and trust in the man of God. When the man of God said he would do something, that's exactly what would happen. When the woman came and she, she heard the word of God and she went to live with the Philistines for seven years and she lost her home and she lost her land, she still listened to the man of God. She was still faithful to what God was saying and doing, even though it did not add up to her. She made a room for the man of God in her house. When the man of God prophesied about the child, she, she believed it. 
When the man of God told her to, that he would raise the child, she'll be, she believed it. And at the word of God, which by the way, the word of God is always right. She believed. She left her house and her land. And she seemingly lost what she had. Now, I'm going to preach for a moment to the people in this room that have been faithful, you have been obedient, you have been steadfast in your confidence in God and believed Him, you have shown up to church regularly, you have been faithful to give, you have been faithful to live for Him, and it has not happened for you yet. It seems like you have lost that which was yours. Someone in this room that has been faithful, but you don't know what's going to happen next. Someone that was willing to do what is right, yet you still feel lost or without. Or why hasn't it answered? Why hasn't it come through? Here's what I would tell you. It is not the woman's fault. Well, let that sink in. You've been faithful. It's not your fault. You've been obedient. It's not your fault. You've been steadfast. It's not your fault. So I would tell you in this house, stay faithful. Never lose obedience. It was obedience that brought the holy into your life. And it will be obedience that fulfills the holy in your life. So stay faithful to God. Stay faithful to his word. Stay faithful to what he says. And bring your need to the king. I want you to notice in this story, she does not run somewhere else, but she takes the need that she has and she runs it right into the king's court. She's been faithful and she's been obedient and she takes her need into the presence of the king. Let me tell you what the best thing you can do. Bring your need to him. Bring your need to the king this morning. Stay faithful and obedient. God is not absent. God is not neglecting and he is not unjust. He knows, and I'm preaching to you this morning, he is the best record keeper in all of humanity. Stay faithful. Because 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you. He's faithful. So woman, figuratively, stay faithful to what God has spoken. Now that's not the only part of the story because the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. You know, the one that got greedy. You know, the one that was full of leprosy because he got greedy about what happened to him. You know, the man who saw what he could have had from Naaman and he couldn't resist it. And he failed. And he made a public error and mistake. He made a choice that he now has to live with the consequences of the choice. You remember how I told you that in this part of the story that the woman, it's not her fault, she's in the place she's in? Well, the reason he's not serving the man of God anymore is because it is his fault. He did make the error. He did make the mistake. Gehazi is living in a season of consequences for the actions that he took. Gehazi was cast off, a failure 
a man of missed opportunity. He could have potentially replaced Elisha, but now, now his failure has taken him out of the presence of the man of God. But you want to know something amazing? The Bible says that the woman brought her need to the king, but the king looked at Gehazi and says, I want you to tell me the great things Elisha, the man of God, has done. I want you to begin to speak the things that Elisha, the man of God, has done. He looks at him and says, go ahead. I know you failed, but why don't you just speak about the power and the grace of God? I know you made a mistake. I know you're paying for the consequences of it, but why don't you tell me for a moment about that widow's oil that was running out and she didn't know how she was going to pay the debt, so she's going to have to sell off her boys. Why don't you tell me about the supernatural power of God and how he worked in that woman's life? Why don't you tell me about the pot of stew that was poisoned until Elisha threw a little bit of flour into it, and that stew became edible? Why don't you tell me about how Elisha fed a 100 men with just a sack of food. Tell me about the supernatural power of God. Tell me how he healed Naaman or how the axe head began to float up. Why don't you speak the things that God has done through his servant Elisha? So listen, I came to preach to people this morning. You may be living in a season where it's not your fault or you may be living in a season where it is your fault, but you both have an opportunity to come before the king. Come on, help me preach for a moment. You both have an opportunity to come and show yourself before the holy and the king and the judge and the righteous. You both have an opportunity to stand before him. So listen, if you're still waiting and you've been faithful, you just keep bringing your need to the king. You just keep bringing your problem to the king. You just keep bringing it in his time. But I want you to listen to me. If you failed and you are living in a mistake you made publicly, if you're failed and you made an error, you listen to me right now. You keep speaking the good things of God. Don't let bitterness set in your heart. Don't let resentment set in your heart of wishing what could have been or how it did fall or whatever happened. But you keep speaking. I know you're faithful, God. Come on, the king has allowed you in his court. You need to speak the things that God has set and God has done. Come on, I wish we'd offer up a praise to the king. Oh, we worship you, God. For every person in this room that's been faithful, we give you glory. Every person in this room that's a failure, we give you glory. We worship you, God. I know there's people in this room, figuratively, you are the woman. Figuratively, you are the servant. But you both have an opportunity to come before him. You both have the chance to come before him. Your life may be different. Your history may be different. But the king is still present. But the king is still real. And let me tell you right now the type of power that the king has. When the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed unto her a certain officer saying, Restore all that was hers. And all the fruits of the field, you ready for this? Since the day she left the land, even 
until now. Whether you're in a season where it's your fault or it's not, you need to understand something. The king has the final word over it. You may feel like time or opportunity or blessings have been forfeited, but by your obedience and by your faithfulness, God can give back to you and restore all that you would have had and all that you should have had because it all rests in the hands of the king anyways. Come on, somebody needs to understand the king is the one that controls the harvest. You may have thought you had control of the harvest, but all along God has control of the harvest in his hand. The king controls the harvest. He's the God. Let me speak a word to somebody right now. You feel like you're living in a season where you have lost it. But I'm here to tell you that God is a God of restoration. God is a God that can restore and put back anointing and put back power and preeminence. He is the one that it rests in his hand. Oh, come on, I know that's a word for somebody. And I feel it in my spirit, trying its best to get into your spirit. Come on, by being obedient in this season, God is going to ensure a perfect outcome for you in the next season because he controls the harvest. Come on, here's what I love. Somebody else planted those seeds for seven years. Somebody else reaped that fruit for seven years. Somebody else pulled that up for seven years. She wasn't around. She's just being obedient, following the plan of God. Somebody else did all the work. Now, I'm not preaching just a prosperity gospel. I'm preaching to you a power gospel. That all of those things that she thought she would never have, the king looked at her and said, give it all back to her. All of it. Since the day she left. And I need somebody to start believing for their child right now. Since the day they left, you can put it back into them. Since the day it seemed like it was lost, you can put it back into them. Since the day it was gone. Come on, he's working all things together. Listen, you're worried about a God of time, but I came to preach to you about a God of timing. And he's aligning things in your favor. He's aligning things in his will. Come on, you may be the woman, you may be the servant, but we all can worship the king. And we all can bring it here to the king. God's timing is perfect. Stand with me. Come on, lift your voice right now with me. I'm done preaching. What I hope is that the word of God would now begin to find a resting place in the soil of someone's life. God's times, he does things with precision. He does things on purpose. He's aligning things for your good. If it's not done, then, it's, then God is still working. If it's not good, then God is still working. That's why he told Joel, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust took. Because he's not bound by time. But he's setting things up. Because he's a God of restoration. These altars are open. Can you lift your hands up in the room? Anybody that feels like you got a promise. Anybody that feels like you got a failure. Anybody that feels like you missed the mark or you did something publicly. Anybody that feels like you've been faithful. That feels like you've been diligent, but it hasn't happened yet. I got a word. The king, the king controls the harvest. Come on, I know this is different for some, but I wish you'd respond to him. Come on, bring it to the king for a second.
Come on, let's turn this house into a prayer room. I know that's different, but let's turn it into a prayer room for a second. I trust the king. I'm in the king's court. I'm in the king's timing. I'm in the king's plan. Come on, mama, lift your voice right now. Cry out for those kids. Come on, dad, you've been faithful. Come on, minister, you thought it was behind you. Come on, somebody's health, somebody's life can be stored and changed right now. The harvest rests in the hands of the king. Come on, that's it, lift your voice. Let's pray without music for a moment. We don't need that for just a moment. But we can touch heaven, and we can bring our families, and we can bring our church, and we can bring our time to him and lay it at his altar. Come on, it's not lost. It's not been thrown away. It's still in the hands of the king. His power is still able. Come on, take it to him for a moment. Come on, take your husband to him for a moment. Come on, bring that lost need to him. For Bring your parents to him for a moment. Restore, restore, restore right now. But restore joy back in someone's spirit right now. Restore peace that felt like it was lost. Restore homes that felt like they've been broken. Right now, God, for everyone that's been faithful, for everyone that's been a failure, God, I pray your hand of anointing would come and sweep over this house. Touch a heart like you can. Let faith arise. Come on, that's it. Let the Spirit of God flow through you. If you've never received His Spirit, this is an opportunity to receive His Spirit. He's able to restore. Come on, God is not ask. He is not ask that all your questions be answered. He is asking for trust in this moment. It may not make all sense, but listen, in the process of time, the hand and the working of God and the King, we trust you, Jesus. Here's what I want to do, and they're going to sing in a moment. If you are in a season right now of waiting, if you're in a season that it hasn't happened yet, I feel the touch of the Holy Ghost right now to minister to people in this room, that they are in a season of waiting for a door to open, waiting for this or that to happen. You don't know yet, but we just preach about a gracious, loving king. So if you are in a season of waiting, from this side of the room to this side of the room, I wish you'd lift your hands up right now. 
If you're in a season of waiting, they're going to play and sing, I wish you'd cry out to God and let the king do the restoration work. Well, if somebody beside you has got their hands lifted, I wish you'd step over to them and encourage them in the Lord. Somebody could be waiting on a job. Somebody could be waiting on a pregnancy. Somebody could be waiting, God, for a family member, a lost loved one. Come on, somebody may be waiting, but it's still in the king's hand. God, release it in your time. Release it. Release health into their body in your time. Release strength into their body in your time. Release provision in your time. 